0: All right, so in this short video, I want to explain why your interpretation of Scripture sucks, and so does mine. (laughs) So the thing about Scripture is it's a written word, and so much of human language is all about vocal inflection, uh, and it is the type of thing that it's really, really easy to make a mistake in reading. And if you make a few mistakes at the beginning, it can shade the way you understand everything, right? So we have to be careful. In fact, scripture gives us a lot of warning that people can twist scripture out of context in multiple places. We see that, uh, Peter himself tells us that no prophecy of scripture is a a matter of personal interpretation because they didn't come about by personal inspiration, right? It came about with the Holy spirit. And what's the opposite of personal interpretation? Public. So where do you get public interpretation? The church. So, Why is that important? Why do we need the church and the consistent witness of the tradition of all the Christians who have lived for the last 2,000 years and connected with the church um, that has legitimate apostolic succession from Christ and the apostles, right? Consider this sentence. I never said you stole his money. If I were to write this down on a piece of paper, hand it to you and say, do you understand what this phrase means? You would probably say yes. Sure. I get it. But then what if I told you You don't understand it at all because I can mean so many different things when I say this phrase. For instance, I could mean I never said you stole his money, which could definitely imply that somebody else said you stole his money. I never stole his money or said you stole his money, right? Which would clearly imply uh, that I'm vehemently denying any allegation that I said anything of the like uh, that, that you stole his money. I never said you stole his money. That kind of implies that I implied it, uh, or maybe even I wrote it down, but I didn't say it out loud. There's lots of ways to read that. I never said you stole his money, right? That's a problem, too. (laughs) Maybe somebody else stole the money. Uh, You know, there's lots of other places, lots of other people that could have stolen the money. I'm just saying I didn't implicate you in the process, but I implicated somebody else. I never said you stole his money. Well, obviously, this can mean a lot of things as well. But primarily, uh, you know, maybe I think you embezzled the money or accidentally walked off with it or left it or mismanaged it. Or, you know, there's so many things that that one sentence could mean if I simply emphasize that word. Obviously, I never said you stole his money seems to imply that I think you might have stolen somebody else's money. Uh, and then lastly, I never said you stole his money. And that seems to imply that you may have taken something else, maybe even something of more value. and you stole his life his wife, his career, his good name. There's so many things that you could have stolen from him, right? And that's the problem with language. There's so many ways that you can interpret even a single sentence. What happens then when you have a Bible, which is thousands of pages written in ancient languages that you probably don't read? How do we know what they meant? I can read Greek. Um, I actually can read Attic Greek, uh, which makes Koine even easier to read, which is the language of the New Testament, because it's a simplified version of Attic Greek. Um, though I have to be careful, because sometimes they'll make certain changes or switches in in Koine that I'm not familiar with in Attic Greek. And I am not by any means a Greek scholar. I am dangerously functional, right? I know many Christians Can't read a lick lick of Greek. They don't even know what the letters are. They don't even know the alphabet, right? Um, And very few uh, know Hebrew as well. Personally, I'll admit to it. I don't know Hebrew. I I don't know the alphabet in Hebrew. I've tried to learn it, it doesn't stick for whatever reason. I might sit down and try it again sometime, but it just does not uh, stick in my brain for some reason, right? So, how do we understand whenever there's a conflict or a contradiction? How do we understand what scripture means? Well, one of the surest ways to do that is look as close to the source as you can. So, if we're looking at a confusing, a confusing point in Scripture, say, you know, did Jesus really teach that the Eucharist is his body and blood? Uh, or did, did he really just teach it was a symbol, right? That's a legitimate question that anyone can ask. And honestly, people can read the Scriptures and come to two completely different understandings of what Jesus did. So then the question becomes, well, what did the very first Christians believe? and i think you know where this is going almost unanimously i don't don't think i can find a single instance against it they taught that the body and blood of jesus was actually present in the the bread and the wine now it gets later refined by catholics they call it transubstantiation which means a change of the substance which i think is actually an apt philosophical determination or philosophical definition um but the point is the earliest christians understood Literally, we're talking people like Clement and Polycarp, uh, who were disciples of Peter and John, respectively. We're talking about uh, people whose letters in the early church were circulated as though they were scripture, uh, particularly Clement, um, as well as uh, you know, the Shepherd of Hermas, the, um, the Didache that went around. There was a lot of early Christian writings that went around. There are hundreds of them that went around. And I don't want to get into the whole discussion about where we got the canon, because I think it's an open and shut case that it was given to us by the church. It's a matter of tradition, uh, and you either accept it as binding and infallible, or you have a fallible canon. But that's neither here nor there. The point is, how do we know what scripture means? We well, you get closer to the source. If you have a, a stream flowing down from a mountain, Uh, Over time, the the further down it gets, the the water can get more polluted, especially if there's something midway up the stream uh, that is polluting the water or or putting junk into it. And so over time, as you get down further and further to the end, you find that the water is a little more polluted. But high up in the mountains where the the water is first melting from the the caps at the top or whatever, um, what you will find is the water is purest there. It's kind of the same thing with Christian teaching. The purest Christian teaching you should be able to find uh, the further back you go. And if you hold to a belief, um, you should be able to find that belief all the way up the mountain, so to speak. So if, if 33 AD at Pentecost is is the, the top of the mountain, you should be able to find your belief explicitly stated um, as close to that time as possible. If you hold to a belief, like let's say Sola Scriptura, um, you should be able to find that in 200 AD, 400 AD, 600 AD. And the simple fact is you can't find it anywhere in part because it was an utterly impractical idea. People didn't have their own Bibles and most people couldn't read anyway. And again, the church preceded the scriptures and gave you the canon. So the infallibility of that New Testament, let alone the Old Testament, depends almost entirely upon the authority of the people who defined the set of books that are in your Bible. But again, I'm not here to talk about the canon. I just find that kind of a, an it's an easy point to score because it kind of underscores all of this, right? The Bible is in self. Uh, it's a matter of tradition. So this is what Vincent of Liren said around 430. AD, if scripture is perfect and sufficient for everything, why is the church's interpretation necessary? Because quite plainly, scripture is not accepted by everyone as having the same meaning. If I can give you one simple sentence, like I never said you stole his money, and I can come up with seven or eight different interpretations uh, minimum for that passage, how much more for a multi-thousand-year-old volume of text written by multiple authors over the course of thousands of years uh, under the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to be sure, uh, but written in languages that probably nobody listening to this video speaks, uh, at least not fluently. We have to listen to the voice of tradition because it safeguards the teachings of the church, and Paul himself commends us to do this, to hold fast to the teachings he passed on, both written and orally, and these are in his letters that he's writing to the church, which at the time didn't have his letters because they didn't have a New Testament. I hope that that makes sense. Um, At the end of the day, Scripture has a lot of things to say about personal interpretation. It's very clear that uh, people can twist the Scriptures to their own destruction. Peter makes that point very, very clearly. Uh, He says they do that with the Scriptures, they do it with Paul's writings as well which he accounts as as scripture. Uh, Remember that Jesus, when he's in the desert, is tempted by the devil who says it is written. The devil himself knows scripture. He knows it better than you do. And anybody can twist it if they try. And that's why you need more than your own fallible interpretation of scripture. You need to lean on the interpretation of the church. God bless you.